Hi, this is Fostered Hope, and I'm your host, Jordan Huffman. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Anne-Marie Jordan, a former CPS agent and foster parent, about her experience from both sides, and I can't wait for you to hear all about it. My name is Anne-Marie Jordan. Um, I'm currently a stay-at-home mom. Um, I've been married to my husband for nine years, and we have three kids who came to us through biology, foster care, and adoption. Oh, wow. Okay, awesome. I knew that you had said that you had adopted. So you have one biological and then yes. one that you're fostering and then one that you've adopted through foster care. Um, our So we just finalized our last one's adoption through foster care. So now both are officially adopted. Oh, um, that's so awesome. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So our five-year-old Elijah, he um, is our biological son. Then our three-year-old Ariana, we fostered her and adopted her. And then she had a half brother, um, Easton, that we fostered and um, just finalized his adoption. Yeah, like last month. Oh, that's so awesome! I'm glad that they got to stay together. Were they together um, previously since they were? No. Husband? So Ariana came into foster care when she was a week old, okay. and she came to our house right from the hospital, and it was she. About a year and a half, we learned that her biological mom was pregnant and we were going to be done fostering for a while after Ariana. We kind of knew at that point where the case was going, but lots of prayers, lots of conversations with my husband. We decided to say yes to Easton. So it was like the month before the trial to terminate her first mom's rights, Easton was born and came to our house when he was about a week old. And how long ago was that? Um... So this was in the heavy of COVID, um, like August, September, 2020. Okay. Um, he came, he was born end of August and he came to our home beginning of September, um, wow. 2020. Yeah. So how did that process look like when it's Ariana? Yeah. Ariana. Um, how did it, was the process when Ariana came to live with you all? So she said she was about a week old. Did the you know, caseworkers, social workers know that they were going to take her from, you know, like um, a from hospital? So we got a text, um, at least I can share from my end. Um, we got a text and it was about 2.15 saying, hey, we have a newborn baby girl, gave one or two words describing kind of the reason she was coming into care. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to have a call with the other agencies in our county at 2.30, um, let me know if you and your husband are interested, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I had initially said we didn't want newborns. Um, our biological son was a very difficult newborn. So we said, nope, we're not going to do newborns. But I called my husband. This is our first call or text about a child since we you know, became foster parents. And like, let's just say yes. Um, we probably won't get chosen. Everyone wants newborns. But right. and my husband's like, yeah, okay, let's say yes. And so I texted her, yeah. Then about 2.40, I was getting a call from her. Like, they weren't going to call to tell us we didn't get her. Right, so right. they called and said, yeah, she'd be um, coming to, you know, that we were going to be the confirmed placement. We had kind of a unique situation because her first mom really wanted to meet us 
And so we actually got to go to the NICU because it was Monday when we said yes. And she wasn't discharged till Friday. So we actually had to go to the NICU with the caseworker kind of supervising our meeting. And then her first mom said, like, come up as much as possible. I want her to bond with you, like, because she is going to go stay with you. At that point, the hope was that she'd reunify. But um, so yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with her first mom, kind of getting to talk with her, hear her story a bit, share Uh a little about me. So yeah, it was a very not usual foster care situation in that regard. Because yeah, she, I mean, at discharge, her first mom handed her over to me, right. um, wow. which is not the usual situation. Yeah, definitely not. I think that that's so awesome, though, that it was like kind of, you know, unconventional in that way that you got to meet her birth mom and like have some sort of relationship with her, you know? Oh, yes. The first six months of the case, we texted daily. I mean, oh, wow. we have a very um, unusual relationship. Um and I've always been kind to her, but she's also always been kind to me. This isn't right. going to be possible for everyone. There are, right. you know, multiple layers why a kid would come into care. And some people are just going to be pissed at the system, pissed at foster parents. Mm-hmm. So um, she's always been very kind to me, treated me with respect. She's been kind to my biological son. Right. Um, so, yeah, we've been very blessed that that's how it's gone. But, yeah, it's – I kind of forget how unusual that is. And I talk to my mm-hmm. other foster mom friends, and yeah. um, I don't think I – shared verbally but I did used to work for CPS and had my degree in social work so I've been on the other side of removing a child and so like yeah this is not the usual setup right but it was such a blessing and so Easton yes Easton okay so this he has the same birth mom yes okay okay so when you got him uh after a week was that like procedure so like the same as Ariana his was a little different he actually went to and I don't know the whole story but um he was sent to a relative for a little bit after being discharged um and he ended up with us the HC and the court's maid decided that he um would officially be in foster care at a week old so that was more the traditional Mm -hmm. um cps brought him to our doorstep like um with the clothes on his back type situation so that was a little more traditional um experience um i did get a text from his birth mom that night kind of letting me know a little bit because she had been able to spend time with him during that week so she kind of could let me know this is the formula he was on. He was, you know, um, he likes passies, that type of thing. Yeah. But yeah. That was a little more traditional setup. Right. right. So I obviously know that you either can't or you like wouldn't share the birth mom story or like why they got taken. Correct. But going forward, do you still, from now, do you still have kind of the same relationship with the birth mom? Um, so it's been interesting. We're still kind of navigating because, um, after rights are terminated, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, the courts say that there, there's no way to, in a reasonable amount of time, safely reunify this child with their birth parents, so they forever sever their rights. Right. Um, then the adoption process starts, so that's a good six, seven months minimum, yeah. where the child's still technically in foster care, but we are not parents. So during that time, we are not allowed to have any contact with her. Oh. Um, we are not allowed to text, talk visit anything um so we just 
finalized and are praying about what that looks like looking forward. But we plan to have a um, open relationship of sorts. Um, right. Once, so I've been kind of like basking in the post adoption glow for a few weeks. But yeah. um, I was just at a conference this weekend about um, for like foster and adoptive parents mm-hmm. and gave me a lot of different tools. I'm excited um, for the kids to have a relationship with their biological mom. It, I love these kids with all my heart and I get to mother them in a way that she never will, but she's a mother to them in a way that I never will be. Yes. And so if I can help support them having a relationship that's safe and beneficial, mm-hmm. um, that's the plan. That's the goal. You know, things yeah. change, but that is our goal and that's what we foresee happening. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm, I'm really glad that, your children, you know, hopefully in the future as they grow up, will be able to have some sort of, you know, distance relationship with her, but still some sort of relationship so they don't maybe have all the same questions that a normal foster care kid would. Yes, that they can, that they can know that their first mom loved them. That was never the issue. And I got to see that firsthand. It was never, ever because she didn't, you know, love them. Um, but they couldn't be safe with her. And that's the verbiage we kind of use right now that they grew in her belly. She, you know, loved them, but they couldn't be safe there. And that's kind of how we explain it to them right now. And, um, but that doesn't mean she loves them any less. And that I'm hoping if we help them navigate the relationship, we can, as they have these questions, help answer and, be a part of that journey instead of them at some point trying to do that journey behind our backs as they get older. Right. So it's so right. normal to have those questions yeah. and want to know about your biology. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, mm-hmm. you obviously don't know this cause we mm-hmm. literally this is the first time we're speaking, like, <laughs> you know? but um, I am a donor baby. And so really? I, yes, I am. And so I grew up with just my mom and me. And okay. so when she did that, you know, she gets, a file, but like his name, who he like, uh, you know, pictures, like where he lives, all of that's like confidential, right? Right. And so when she went through the process, she made sure that like when I was eighteen, I'd be able to reach out to him and see if he would like ever want to meet me or you know stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, because that's normal, like you know, kids want to know where they came from. Oh, I how I explain it to people is like ancestry DNA is popular for a reason. Like we right. have this innate desire to know more about more about our genetics our biology and that's like people who've been raised by both their biological parents have that urge let alone someone who has not been like that's just so innate and normal in us exactly exactly yeah but eventually um I I turned 18 then didn't really have I've always had like an interest but I never really like Mm -hmm. sought that out and mm-hmm. then just one day I was sitting in my dorm room, uh, I think it was sophomore year, I'm a senior now, and I was talking to my roommate and she was like, why have you never like even just like called the, the sperm donor place? And I was like, I, I don't know. She was like, well, do you want to? <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, kind of. So then I did and they changed their procedures in like 2007. So the only way I'd ever get to meet him is if he reached out to me. But Oh, really? Yeah. So my mom oh, was really too bad. Yeah, but it's okay. I don't really like, because I'll do the ancestry stuff one day, because at the Hmm. point when I was born, there were 13 other children born through him. Okay. Like at least 13 other half siblings running around there that I'm sure have done something like that. So that's, is that wild to you to think about that? That you have 13 other siblings? Yeah, it's crazy. And so she did the sperm uh, 
the sperm donor thing in Ohio. And so we're from West Virginia. So like around that, I've always been like, oh, I wonder if I like have ever met somebody that I'm like, right. And then eventually we, I think I was like nine, 10 years old and I saw a foster care agency ad and I was like, mom, what's that? And she, you know, told me and I was like, we should totally do that. And she was like, you're 10, like, you have no idea. What you're <laughs> and I was like, no, but we should do it. And she was like, no, dismiss me. But like for a year I badgered her about it and eventually she agreed. And then she got certified and that took a little bit over a year, probably like a year and a half. And then when I was 12 11 12 11 or 12 we started fostering and then now we adopted my two siblings that we have in 2015 oh beautiful yes. oh wow so you remember like the whole process as much as yeah. you come from that age but yeah 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 because yeah. I always you know wonder how through my biological son's perspective mm-hmm. on this I mean him being as young as he was like right this is his brother and sister like that exactly. isn't yeah um he remembers Easton going to visits I don't think he even has a recollection of Ariana having visits with right um you know it's when the case is open they have visits with their biological parents mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. were always supervised at the agency but yeah I don't think Elijah remembers Ariana doing that but I but, he does remember Easton um, yeah. going to visits and he's you know met their mom and stuff so right yeah I was interested how it is through the eyes of the you know the yeah, I just kid. Yeah, I remember, like, when they came to us, how they looked, you know, like, my brother was two, and my sister was four, about to turn five, like, the week after we got them, so they were tiny little things, and now they're 15 and 12, so. Oh my goodness, that's wild. I know, it's crazy to think about, but now, you know, like, they're just a part of my family, like, I, it's sometimes hard to remember, because, like, they're a lot different than me, but, like, sometimes we'll be getting mad at them, they have, like, behavioral problems, like, you know, educational Mm -hmm. setbacks, and sometimes I'll have to, like, stop and look at my mom and be like, they're not us like they were through so much more and like we forget because it's been so long oh yeah it's it is a trauma just no matter what and most kids aren't coming into foster care for no reason so we mm. can pretty safely assume there's been some trauma before they right. were placed but also just being placed in foster care is trauma being removed yeah. from the even if it is an unhealthy environment it's the only thing you know and that's exactly. comfortable exactly or even like yeah, my kids reach a week old, but they, you know, grew in their first mom's belly. They knew her scent. They knew her voice. Like we are not designed to be separated from our first families. It, right. Again, it's, it can be the safest and best choice in the circumstances, but mm-hmm. that does leave a lasting wound on people. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, manifests in different ways for different yeah. people. But um, yeah, there are different things that my two youngest children will have to face and already have faced that my biological son won't. Right. Um, right. But yeah, they, in the end of the day, they're all my kids. They're all, that's just my, my little trio. <laughs> family. They're just family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about the mother's rights being terminated. Was that her choice? Since I know you said that like, she obviously wasn't effective if she loved them or not. Um, the, hers were involuntarily terminated. And so um, we had to go to the hearing and it the best way to describe it is like a funeral like right. it is just yeah. you know they are it's serious to terminate someone's rights as it should be and mm-hmm. so it's literally a prosecutor listing every reason why this person deserves oh. to never parent their child again and so it is every mistake every wrong choice every flaw every concern just listed out in open court it feels like such a violation even though it's yeah. it definitely that's part of the process that's how it needs to be and it 
in the same regard, helped us remember that this is the best choice for them, having all the history kind of laid out. But um, yeah, it's even though that is technically the start to the adoption process in a way, like you don't leave that hearing cheering. Like it right. feels like a funeral. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't even, I obviously knew that part, but my siblings, uh, parents, uh, the mom's rights were involuntary, involuntary terminated. Um, but then their dad's rights, he actually was like, you know, working the steps to get back to having them after like three years of us having them. And then he gave up his rights eventually and said like, there's, you know, no other place that I want them to be. Like, I can't take care of them. So, well, and it's such a, I've, I've got a lot of foster adopted mom friends and, you know, some who've experienced involuntary termination, some of them have experienced the, you know, parent deciding to sign their rights and it, it's so much more humane. I mean, it's still terribly hard and like right. gut-wrenching, but that just is such a more humane procedure and process right. and kind of them getting to make that decision than the involuntary. I wonder if my mom, well, you'd probably know cause you were, you know, you worked for CPS. If the mom had her rights terminated long before the dad gave up his rights would she have had to go to like that hearing or no since uh, there was other family members um would the your mom have had to go to the hearing or yeah, the you guys did um it's we technically didn't have to go oh. it was um we just chose to the one thing when you foster there's Foster parents don't get a lot of information mm -hmm. and the only, the caseworker is not allowed to tell us really anything about what's going on progress wise. And so the only way you find out stuff is going to these court hearings gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then going to the termination hearing, you know, they're kind of going from beginning to end. And so it's terribly hard, but it also gives us a lot of information that, you know, we can know a to help us, you know, maybe more, effectively raise our kids but also just when they have questions because yeah. there is there is so much that we don't know in a lot of ways but yeah. so yeah you are not required to go to the hearings but we always went so that was kind of our only way to really get like gotcha. what's going on so yeah so yeah, yeah. I, you'd have to ask her she wouldn't have had to but a lot right. of, and I know that was you know a little bit ago too but I most of my friends go to the hearings right um I really wonder if she did or not because I you know I was young like right I, I remember a lot of stuff, but she also, I mean, she would tell me for the most part what was going on, but things that she would obviously keep a lot of it that she knew, like from me. Um, right. So I wonder, I, I, I just, I'm so glad that I'm like getting to be able to do this, like even just for my class, because I feel like I'm learning like so much more about the system, even though I've like had a direct link to it for a long, long time. Oh, it's like crazy the more because I joke with some of my friends everyone says like our situation is such a weird one then they go yada yada like everyone's situation is a weird one in foster care I feel like everyone's like ours is really unique because of da 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 and so just talking to more people you get a better grasp and then yeah talking to people from other sides of the yeah. system whether right. it be you know a biological parent foster parent or you know a worker just right. it helps give you a better picture I have joked with friends like I don't know how people are foster parents without having experience in the system as a caseworker. Because <laughs> I, I just had such a different information base to bring in. And I still feel like I'm drowning half the time. Yeah. Like, exactly. Oh my goodness. These people did it like totally without any of that information. <laughs> right. I think that like probably was like, cause looking back on everything, I think that was probably my mom's biggest like um, struggle was 
because she's a very, I have to like type A, I need to be informed mm-hmm. of what I'm doing. Yeah. And in this situation, you don't really get the benefit of that. And so, no. Oh, it's, yeah, it's hard. You've got these kids in your home mm-hmm. that you see more of than anyone and you know the least and sometimes feel like you're just a glorified babysitter. Exactly. Um, we were very blessed. I feel like our agency always, you know, again, there's information they can't share with us and I understand right. that, but they treated us with a lot of like respected our role in this. So like, oh, we aren't just a glorified babysitter. Right. Um, we, you know, are parenting them and, you know, the goal would be that we're parenting them for a short time so they can reunify. Mm-hmm. But in the moment we've got the parent hat on. Right. So I, our agency, I feel like was good at that. At least the people I interacted with, I know not everyone can say that, yeah. but we, I felt like I was taken very seriously by our caseworkers and maybe that is because I had the experience as a caseworker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wasn't just being air quote, crazy foster mom. Right. Like I did have some Probably things not. to back me up. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that helped as well. How did you get into working for CPS? Did you like go to college with a major that would like propel you towards mm-hmm. social work or was this just like unexpected? Um, so I went into social work and I think I always kind of knew I wanted to help kids or families mm-hmm. in some regard. And I kind of thought that that avenue might be through CPS. Yeah. And then your senior year, you have to um, intern for so many hours. Yeah. And I lived in Pennsylvania at the time. I'm currently in Michigan and grew up in Michigan, but I lived in Pennsylvania for five years. Mm-hmm. And they had a program that if you interned for CPS and then promised to work with them for at least a year after you graduate, they would pay for your senior year of college. Oh, wow. So it kind of became like a no-brainer. Like, right. yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of the internships were unpaid. I was getting my college paid for, and I think I got a small stipend. So that's how I went into um, that part of social work. Okay. So what was your specific job in, in CPS when you started working with them? When I, I interned in the in-home services department, and so that would be after an investigation happens, they might decide we have concerns about this family, but we think the kids can remain in the home. The case would get transferred to the in-home services department, and they would work with the family while the kids are in the home mm-hmm. and um, ideally work their way out of needing to be with them. Sometimes they would also then end up needing to be removed, but, but then that was where I interned. And then I got my full-time job working in the intake department. And that was like the, I think how you picture CPS, the knock on the door. Hi, I'm Marie. We've got a report. Can I come in and talk? So we were doing the investigative, seeing what's going on. Are the kids safe? What do we need to make them safe? Do we need to remove a child? So that was my role there. Wow. So I, did you like take any of your work home with you? Because I feel like, you know, I feel like everybody says this, but like, I just couldn't do that. Cause I would be so distraught all the time. Like, yes, it was um, very hard. I often brought my home work home with me. Although I, I think I would do that with any job. I'm just mm-hmm. an emotional person. Like I brought my homework, my work home with me when I was a bank teller. Like I, right. you know, I feel like I do it with any job. Um, I love the job so much. I, felt like it was definitely like God gave me so many strengths for that job. I, you know, in that type of situation, you are literally again, hi, my name's Anne Marie. Um, we have concerns about your family. You don't know me and you're scared of me because 
you think I have the power to take your kids, but also I need you to open up about all your deep stuff real quick. Exactly. And I had, I think a decent strength at getting people to open up pretty quick Mm -hmm. and make people feel comfortable. And so that helped a lot. My really the hardest thing in that job was the caseload, you know, and everyone knows this, they're underpaid, overworked, and then people leave. And so then those go to the other people. When I put in my two weeks, I had, I think, 43 cases. Oh, wow. So that's 43 families that I was responsible for seeing if they're safe or not, Mm -hmm. having to see every, most investigations are supposed to take like 60 days. We were tending to go over that because of how many cases we had. And you have to see all the kids every 30 days. You have court. You have, there was just so many things that I could have done it longer, I think, if the caseload was smaller. Um, but you have an impossible job then with an impossible amount of families to try and help. I'm, I knew a family would end up slipping through the cracks yeah. with that kind of caseload. Yeah. Um, but the actual job, again, it was hard, but I knew what I was getting into and I loved it in so many ways. Right. So you would say that was, that would be like your biggest struggle while working for them? Yes. Was the, it was the caseload for sure that you, again, it's hard anyway, even if you right. had five cases, but I, I came in on weekends a lot. um, The other hard part was you would be, um, your unit would be on rotation for certain calls we would get. They'd each be given how quick we have to respond. So some calls you might have to go out within the week because they have concerns about a house being messy or something, you know, so you don't need to get out that day. But other reports you need to get out immediately. So you'd be on rotation for who would get the next immediate call. And so it could be 4.30 on a Friday and I have my home visits worked out. So I'm almost home by the end of my last home visit. And then I get called. I got to go the other end of the county for an immediate and you're not getting home till nine or 10 at night. And that happened quite a bit. So that was that work-life balance was very hard in that job. So when you decided to put your two weeks in was, did you have another job lined up or were you um expanding your like did you have your biological son and you were just like okay I want to stay at home with him so we um we were trying to have a biological child we were going through fertility treatments we're just kind of the beginning and we kind of had this thought of I don't think stress affects fertility but I would hate to ever think like, what if I was less stressed while we were doing yeah. this? Could these have been successful? So I did not have a job lined up and I put my two weeks in and kind of focused on getting pregnant. Um, but I did end up um, having a nanny job kind of fall into my lap. That worked out great. So I did that until I gave birth to my son. So we did end up conceiving. That's right. um, so, but yeah, we, I was fortunate I was able to do that. Not everyone has that yeah. option either. Oh, that's so great. What has been your biggest challenge while fostering? Huh, biggest challenge while fostering. It's hard because I'm almost like we're kind of in the adoption phase, not at least currently. We're still licensed foster parents, mm-hmm. so we'll see where God has planned for that. Yeah. I think the the system as a whole, we had to deal with a lot of delays that I think were very bureaucratic delays. Mm-hmm. We and we fostered during a pandemic. Right. So both of our kids' cases were almost double the length of time that they should have been mm-hmm. because 
of the pandemic and court hearings getting delayed for reasons that they wouldn't have been delayed pre-COVID. Right. Are like Ariana's, the original termination hearing should have been May of 2020. Mm -hmm. And it got pushed back multiple times all the way till October. Mm. And we had a similar thing happen with Easton, similar timeline. So yeah, I think it was just that system bureaucratic type stuff. Um, I sometimes, and I would tell this to my workers, like I would be kind of irrational foster mom about certain things or I'm like, I put my casework back hat on, put my casework hat back on. Mm -hmm. Like I know why these visits have to happen at this time, even though it's during, you know, our nap time or, you know, different things like that, that like, I would also get frustrated about that. It doesn't feel like the kids needs are being put first, but I know that there's a lot of moving pieces and it isn't just about what's easiest and best for the kids. Well, ideally it should be. There's a lot more moving pieces Mm -hmm. involved. So that was another hard part being in the foster parent role. Right. So before Ariana and Easton, did you have other children that you fostered or were they the first? No, they were our first ones. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Like, so when, and this is kind of a tangent to why we ended up fostering. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking on a little road right now, but, um, so we, we, I always knew I wanted to adopt in some form, like in high school. Um, I always just foresaw that in my future. Um, and then as I went to school for social work and started working for CPS, then we had some friends of ours that, um, had fostered. Me and my husband kind of talked and like, yeah, I think that's the route we would go someday. Mm -hmm. We kind of figured we'd have like a couple biological children first and then maybe, our last child, you know, we'll foster a few. And if there's one that can't be reunified, adopt. That right. was my perfect plan. God had another plan. Yeah. He, yeah. you know, we had fertility issues and, you know, we did conceive our son. Then we were kind of thinking about, you know, we're kind of ready to have another kid. Should we try fertility treatment again? Should we foster? And, you know, we we're praying on it, kind of going back and forth. I had asked a friend of mine because I worked in CPS out in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. I wasn't familiar with like the agencies in Michigan Mm -hmm. and in our county specifically. I asked a friend who fostered, you know, what agency they were through. And she told me, I'd never heard of that agency before. Mm -hmm. And I was driving down the highway that next day and I was praying like, God, I feel so torn. I feel like either way is a good option. Neither is bad. And I was praying. And as I'm praying, the sign for that agency, there's a billboard on the highway saying we need foster Mm -hmm. parents. Like, as so like okay god this is definitely it and so i told my husband we got home um i tend to be the balloon he's a little bit of the string yeah. you know keeps me <laughs> grounded yeah. a bit but we got you know like he's like all right do you want to like sign up today or you know i had this experience that he didn't right. but um we did contact an agency and we kind of our timeline for starting we thought you know Elijah's a little young. Like, I don't know if we would have a biological kid that second, but hopefully we're going to foster and have a few kids reunify. So by the time we have a case where adoption needs to happen, there'll be like a three to four year gap. Like that was my perfect plan. Um, Again, a God knew better, but our first placement, you know, goes to adoption and our, you know, we take a sibling. Mm -hmm. So I wanted the logical, like, let's face our kids out three to four years. And we had three kids in less than three years. Um, But yes, we've never had reunification. And I, I, I don't know what our future is 
for us. We definitely need a break and mm-hmm. this break might be for years and it might be forever. We're not fully decided. Um, there's still something so in me that would love to be part of a reunification story yeah. and helping a parent be able to get their child yeah. back. But I'm, I'm giving that one to God. We'll see what we right. have for the future. Right. Yeah. That was, you know, my, I would say my mom and I's plan, but I was 11, you know, like it's not. Right. <laughs> you were the one that brought up, you were the one that brought up foster care. Yeah. Her, so. You said about that billboard, that's crazy. Like that's just like exactly the way it happened for me, but I was so tiny and had no idea what I was talking about. But mm-hmm. okay. I it was like my frying pain over the head moment like there was just no like denying that that's like what god was telling me Mm -hmm. like um which i think was good i think we needed a very clear like this is what i want you to do right again i if you at that time would have told me would have had three kids you know all in diapers at the same time (laughs) and through a global pandemic and you know we we do virtual visits during that pandemic so with ariana she was one and a half doing twice a week zoom visits Mm -hmm. that you know I had to supervise you know because I'm there we can't anyone in the house so yeah we had that part of the pandemic we got COVID and couldn't do in-person visits and so yeah it would I if you would have told me that that's what it would look like I'd like to think I would have said yes no matter what yeah yeah I think I'm glad sometimes God doesn't give us all the information right away (laughs) yeah exactly I might have been a little more scared yeah because we had two children um, I think one was like one and a half and the other was three and we had them for three days. Oh. They were our first kid. Oh, wow. And we had them for three days and they got sent back either to a family member or the family they came from. I, I, the details are, you know, very fuzzy, but mm-hmm. I just remember being like so distraught. Like my mom took me out of mm-hmm. school that day to tell me, and I was like bawling the whole night. Cause you know, I don't know what's going on. I was like, they just got taken away from their family like are they going back to like a bad home like you know why can't them? you know oh I mean and that's a hard concept for like our you know like grown-up foster parents alone you at the age you are like right yeah and so my mom literally that same day that night she got a call um for two children and she was like listen my daughter is we just got uh two kids taken today like they got sent back to their family like you know she's not okay like we're just gonna take a beat and you know the next time you call like we'll you know work it out and then a month later um we get another call and it was just for a little boy and after hearing like his story my mom was like wait uh, is this the same kid that had a sister like the one that you called me about a month ago and they were like yeah and she was like why why are you separating them? And my sister was um, just kind of a terror, like in all aspects, not a good child, you know, very difficult to handle. And she was just making it really hard for anyone to want to keep them both. And so mm-hmm. they decided they wanted to split them up for a better chance for my brother, Nathan. And my mom was like, no, like they've gone through enough already, like just send them both to us. And it ended up that they were our second kids and we've had them and we adopted them in 2015. So, and that's every every placement like I've said I never want a child that's not meant to be mine like if a child doesn't end up staying with us it's because God had someone else meant to stay with Mm -hmm. us which again it's easy for me to say because we haven't had any reunifications Mm -hmm. but um I have had friends that you know and I mean kids I've been with them for months and months and months that reunify and that is the ultimate goal um but it's heartbreaking also and but then you know 
next placement they end up adopting, they probably wouldn't have taken another placement if they had adopted the you know prior one. Mm-hmm. So exactly, it is. Again, we can't always see that far down the road. Right. Um, again, I could not have fathomed having another a newborn after the. Yeah. We said we wouldn't do any newborns. We've had only newborns. Yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's the only thing we have. Yeah, God just knows exactly what is supposed to happen. Like I, you know, I can't even believe mm-hmm. that we got, you know, another call for the same, the same group of kids. Oh yeah, what are the odds? Right, and so we were just meant to have them, and both of them. So definitely, yeah, well, big blessing. And that's we with Ariana's case being extended multiple times because of COVID. Um, we, I got to kind of make my I was the one who I think noticed that um her first mom was pregnant mm-hmm. and so then you know we kind of we got verification that she was pregnant I think July and Easton was born out of August um if we had if rights were terminated mm-hmm. in May when the original hearing would have been mm-hmm. we'd have had no contact with um her first mom right. and wow. we wouldn't have known that there was another baby until they were calling us like saying that he's being removed exactly. and I would like to think we would have said yes no matter what but I my husband especially he's an engineer he's a analytical um it's hard for him to make a decision quick mm-hmm. so I think he really needed that month of like processing right and talking about it I don't know that he would have said yes if we had just gotten the a call mm-hmm. you know like hey there's a baby can we drop him off in an hour like no we're not even taking new placements you know so I it was annoying at the time how much Ariana's case was delayed but I would hate to think what if we'd gotten a call and said no I can't imagine them being apart exactly I, yeah you know that it breaks my heart to even think about right yeah it just all works out exactly how it's supposed to makes it me feel sentimental that's so sweet I know, I know my ragtag crew, they're wild, they got a lot of energy, but yeah, they love hard, they love hard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, what would you say to anyone thinking about foster care? I think everyone is called to help in some way. Um, that doesn't always mean foster parenting, but I do think everyone is called, you know, the verse about caring for the widow and the orphan, I mean, we are all called to do it in some way. Right. But if you have any even prick on your heart about looking into becoming a foster family, like lean into that, go to your agency's orientation, talk to other foster adoptive families and just lean into it. It's one of the hardest things we've ever done, but it is the most beautiful, amazing thing. I'm going to cry. It's one of the most beautiful, amazing things that we've done I can't imagine our life being any different and I just if it's being laid on anyone's heart even in the tiniest way like lean into it I think sometimes we look for God to tell us an obvious yes Mm -hmm. and sometimes maybe we should lean into something until he gives us an obvious no and yeah just lean into it get more information and we just need so many more good foster families right I I get I get emails all the time about kids needing a placement. If no one says yes, they're going to sleep on the agency floor. Right, exactly. Like that happens so much. So yeah, it's such a need, and you it can get intimidating when you see some of these foster families have a ton of kids, and like all you have to do is say yes, say mm-hmm. yes, you know, to one kid, right. one home, you can make a difference. Right, exactly. And 
Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. That's since, you know, being in college and like doing random projects. I did one other project, I think a couple, yeah, a couple years ago now. And I was in some data class and I needed to like make a semester long project on data and I still have it on my computer somewhere, but I chose uh, kids in the system and um, like kids being adopted, kids like aging out, you know, like all all the, all the, Mm -hmm. and it just, I was so sad, so sad the entire semester, just thinking about how many children need homes, like even temporary homes, like they just need a place and we don't have enough people that are saying yes you know like no I it's we have a small family in the foster care world because so many end up taking more and more because there just aren't enough foster families and yeah it's I mean there's in most states have most um states have a website that like is listing all the children that are like waiting for homes that are like usually foster kids who've had rights terminated Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, I guess, another thing I'd like to plug. I think there are people afraid to look into foster care because they couldn't imagine saying goodbye to a kid, right. if, you know, they were in their home, which I mean, I do say that we're the adults. We can, I'd rather been able to give love and safety to a child and say goodbye mm-hmm. than like a child never feeling that love. Mm-hmm. But there are kids that rights have been terminated on and they're waiting to be adopted. Yeah. So there is another path that you know these kids have a need too and they're you know might be a little older they're not gonna be a newborn but that they need a home and would be a more traditional adoption scenario mm -hmm. Um, so that's another way I think people don't think about and that it's you know it doesn't cost you anything compared to other adoptions and yes it's devastating when you go on that our state's website and yeah they're like it's like you're trying to sell a kid or convince someone to like fall in love with the kids they get a home and that's it's sad that they have to do that they I get why they do but yeah we need more families I agree if you had the power to change your biggest issue within the system with the system what would that issue be Ooh, oh that's a good one (laughs) um I I think sometimes everyone loses focus on that it should be what's best for the kids and I include everyone I think foster parents mm-hmm. sometimes do um so I just wish that the kids were prioritized and that the bureaucratic red tape wasn't the priority because mm-hmm. that's what it feels like sometimes that um, yeah that has been the biggest thing I've been saying like for so long and like I don't even know you would like you know a lot more since you've been on the other side of it you know like I've just talked to so many people and like have seen it firsthand that I just feel like, you know, like the priority is lost and either the priority is for the kids to just, you know, reunite back with a family that's not safe with, you know, not safe for them or I just, and yeah. And it's hard because even like, I think sometimes the caseworkers get a bad rap and of course they're overworked, underpaid, but they're also working in a system that they have to follow the laws of the system. Yeah, exactly. You know, they can't just change things in their own world when they have to follow those laws so a lot of it's kind of a bigger issue you know I one thing I've you know when I vote you kind of think of the big people you're voting for who you're voting for president governor um everyone should look at the judges that they're voting for because a lot of these people the ones making the decisions for our kids cases um that never like really impacted me as much until I was like 
oh, this judge got signed to our case. Yay. Or my friend, you know, oh, darn it. We got this judge. Yeah. Like, um, so yes, I am much more cognizant of which judges I'm yeah. voting for um, because yeah, they have a lot of impact into the yeah. case and timing. Yeah. I just always wish there was, you know, a better way so that like human error wouldn't have to be involved ever, but like, that's just how, you know, we can't. Have- well, and that's, we're, it's a broken system working with broken people. Exactly. Everyone, and, and even the like, I mean, I think when we say broken people, we're going to think of the biological families. And yes, of course, but I have, you know, the foster parents are broken people, the caseworkers, like, we're not perfect, we're not robots. And so you already got a system that is broken. And then a lot of flawed individuals trying to work together to do what's best for this kid. And I think, I think most people in the system's intent is what's best for the kid. It's just that sometimes get lost in the, bureaucratic red tape yeah. I want to thank Anne Marie so much for speaking with me today and sharing her story about her ties to the foster care system if you wanted to know more about Anne Marie I put some extra information in the description don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram at fostered hope podcast and fostered hope on Facebook we'll be back next Monday with another episode do something kind for someone this week see ya